Heavenly Father, we give you the praise that is rightfully yours. Lord, we're grateful this morning and thankful, even as you continue to open up our eyes, to see more of you, more of what you have done, more of who you are, a reminder anew of what you're going to do. And Lord, you truly are the King of Kings, high above anything else we could value in this world. And so, Father, we thank you for drawing our hearts to yourself. Would you continue to to feed us through your word as we continue to worship you with not just our time, but with our lives, our hearts, everything we have. We're so grateful that you are God who is worthy to be worshiped and that you reign supreme this morning. So speak to us, your people, this morning. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated where you are. And we will continue our offering, uh, or our, our worship rather, thank you William, uh, our uh, worship this morning by the giving of our tithes and offerings. You're going to find an offering basket over on the left side uh, of your uh, row. You can pass that along and so some of our ushers will come by and pick that up in a second. Uh, and if you are a visitor here at Double Community Church, welcome. Uh, my name is Adam Robinson. I'm the pastor here. Please do not feel obligated to give. Uh, but for those of us who, who uh, call this home, we like to, uh, we want to give back to the Lord from our tithe. Our and offerings. It's an act of worship. Uh, listen, welcome, and uh, have, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, but also let me be the first to say Merry Christmas uh, to you, because we are now full on in the Christmas season, uh, and we are going to be celebrating what we call Advent. Between now uh, and Christmas on the December 25th, we are going to be marking a time right up to that Christmas Sunday service. And one of the things uh, that we've been doing for years here uh, is the lighting of the Advent candles around an Advent wreath. Uh, Christians have been celebrating Advent uh, for around 1,700 years, uh, right around 300 B.C. is when people began to celebrate the season of Christmas as a time of preparation to, to mark out, just kind of, kind of beginning to dwell on and meditate on what does it mean for Jesus Christ to have come, but also to remember that he's coming again. That word Advent literally means coming, and so that's what we are celebrating during this Advent season. And people have done this in lots of different ways throughout the years, but a little under 200 years ago, uh, some folks in Germany came up with this idea of having candles uh, of of different meanings and then a a wreath kind of put around it uh, as a visible sign that helps us as we walk towards uh, Christmas and this year, Christmas Sunday morning. And so each week we're going to be lighting one of these candles uh, that represents different things uh, as a part of our worship. And this week uh, we're talking about hope. I want to read a verse to you here in Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 13. It says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Uh, The Advent season is a season of hope. Uh, there are, um, scholars disagree on this, but they would say conservatively there's around 300 different prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ fulfills every single one of them. Think about that. 300 promises. And Jesus comes through on every single one. And so we celebrate the fact that Jesus has already come. But think now about all the promises he's made to you. Promises that are yet to be fulfilled. Promises that he's preparing a place for us. Promises that he's going to come again one day. Promises that no one can snatch us out of his hand. Promises that we are forgiven, saved, accepted, and we will live with him forevermore. That day is coming. Promises 
that he's going to fulfill. And that gives us hope. And so this Advent season ought to be a season of hope for us. And I hope that it is for you. And so this morning, I want to invite some friends of mine, uh, Jeff and Peaches Wilson, members of our church, uh, to come and light the first candle of the Advent wreath, uh, a candle of hope. And as they do so, and as we see this candle lit, and as we see all of the candles uh, lit as we go through this season, let it be a reminder of the hope that Jesus Christ brings to each and every one of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for what you have done, that we have reason to celebrate enough in the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, to celebrate that We have not been abandoned. We have not been forgotten. You have not changed your mind. Instead, you came and brought us salvation in your son. But Lord, we have this foretaste of glory, this first fruits of the spirit. And Lord, we long for the day when you come again. Lord, we long in hope to be reunited fully with you, with all of our brothers and sisters. Lord, to be in your kingdom as it is meant to be. Lord, we long for the day when you come again. Would you remind us of this and fill us with hope of that day, this Christmas season. We love you, Lord. That's in your name we pray. And we all said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Wilson's, thank you. Sandy. And I am glad that you are here today. Hey, grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one is where we're going to be. Verse five, uh, as we kick off our Advent series uh, called the Heart of Christmas. What does it mean for us to not simply go through a Christmas season, but to experience the heart of Christmas this year? And we're looking at through a lot of uh, different folks in the Christmas narratives. But Luke chapter 1 verse 5 is where we'll begin in just a moment. Luke chapter 1 verse 5 is where we'll be in just a second. While you were turning there, um, as a parent of a four-year-old, one of my jobs is to read books before bedtime. Uh, and we read lots of different books and different kinds of books at bedtime. You got to have a lot of different variety uh, just to kind of make sure uh, you can kind of keep their attention, but also send them off to sleep. Uh, and we read a book recently uh, that I actually particularly enjoyed. I don't always enjoy all the kids' books, but this one I liked. Uh, it's by a guy named Mo Willems, uh, and the title of the book is called Waiting is Not Easy, which I resonated with. Now, look, that's uh, something I need my daughter to understand. This is a truism of life. Waiting is not easy. Uh, but that's actually something I'm still wrestling with. Uh, the story is about an elephant who is told by his friend, who is a pig, I don't know why, uh, that he's going to get a gift, but he has to wait for it. To which the elephant says, waiting is not easy. And he continues to say this time and again, and he groans while he has to wait. And sure enough, it's worth it at the end, but it's hard in the middle because waiting is not easy. And not just for my four-year-old, but for this 48-year-old, waiting is still not easy. Uh, And that's true for all of us as adults. But look, there are different kinds of waiting, are there not? We're all going to have to wait. That's just going to happen. Tough. Can't fix it. You're going to have to wait as a person in this life. Everything's not going to be exactly how you want it. You can't make everything go exactly on your timetable. You're going to have to wait. But you can have very different attitudes while you wait. Think about waiting on 280 and what that feels like, right? That is an angry kind of waiting. If you are stuck in traffic on 280, that is not a happy place. 
Listen, you were just trying to get somewhere. You thought it would take 10 minutes and now it's going to take an hour. You were going to be five minutes late to work and now you're going to be an hour late to work. You were going to be on time and now you're not. You're just in that standstill traffic. That is an angry kind of waiting. You're frustrated in the middle of that waiting. That's not joy. That's, that's anger. Sometimes though, our waiting is just boring, right? You ever just had to waste time? You just had time to kill? There's something coming. You can't make it get here faster. You're waiting on results uh, from a test, or you're just waiting for a, a graduation day, or you're waiting for something that's, that's coming, and there's, there's just nothing to do but just kill time. And you're bored. You just kind of sit there, and you're just waiting. We, we talk about wasting time or killing time, but, but these are not happy terms. Uh, we're just bored. We're, we're waiting. But today marks a different kind of waiting for a lot of our kids because they recognize that starting today, because Christmas is coming, there's a day coming in their future where they're going to get a lot of presents. And you may be excited about that too, even as an adult, to say, hey, listen, there's coming a day very soon where I'm going to get a lot of things. That makes a lot of us very happy. You might say, Adam, I'm not interested in the presents, but just like I had a great family time this past weekend, I'm about to have a family gathering when we get to Christmas. I'm going to see people I haven't seen in a while. And so you have this thing that you're looking forward to and far from it being angry or boring, instead there's an excitement that's attached to it. It's still not fun, but there's some joy mixed in with that waiting and that is hope. Hope is when you do not have something, but you know it's coming. And instead of being angry or bored, we find ourselves filled with a joy, an excitement, a life as we wait for what is to come. And when it comes to Christmas, that hope is something that ought to fill us throughout the season. And like I said, we're going to see that in the midst of this uh, this series. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, Listen to what the scripture says. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Let's pause right there. A little bit of context to find out where we are. Uh, This is right before the birth of Jesus Christ. So in history, this is is right on the eve of the birth of Jesus. And we find a priest and his wife in the land of Judea. So we have Zechariah and Elizabeth living in the land of Judea. But uh, even though they have been faithful and devout uh, as a priest in the temple... It has been 400 years since anyone has truly heard from the Lord. I want you to let that sink in for just a second. For all of the Jews, there had been no prophet. There had been no new word. There had been no major miracle. There had been no move of God in over 400 years. And yet Zechariah is still faithfully serving in the temple. But imagine how that might feel. But the Lord describes them as righteous, blameless in all of their ways. Now, this is high praise in the Bible. 
Uh, the Bible typically is fairly honest about these very real human beings. We've got all kinds of heroes in the scriptures, uh, but you all usually find out that they do great things, but they also do some not great things. They, su- they do amazing things, but also some very sinful things. There's only a few different people in scripture that you don't see this with. And so for the Lord to declare about them, they are righteous, they are blameless in all of their ways is high, high praise. But that makes this other fact a little bit interesting. It says that they were barren. Now, that's a hard thing to square. If these people are so righteous and they seem to be blessed, then why is it that they also seem to be cursed? In Jewish culture, to not have a child, uh, that, this is one of the worst things that could happen to you. you having children was how you kind of, you passed on the family, you passed on the name. It was a sign of blessing from the Lord, not just one child, but many children, People here, you might have struggled with having a child or not being able to have a child. You know the pain that goes with that. Even more so for Zechariah and Elizabeth, where where such a premium is placed on this in their society. And now they're advanced in years. It seems like this is never going to happen for them. How is it that they are so righteous, but they don't seem to have received this thing that they have prayed for? And so if you put that all together, I would be willing to bet that for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have very low expectations when it comes to what God is going to do in their life. They haven't seen God move in 400 years. They have prayed and prayed and prayed for this thing, and it has not come about. And yet still they are obedient. They are faithful. They believe in the Lord. They will follow the Lord. They will not leave the Lord. But I imagine they have some lowered expectations. They just don't know if God's actually going to do anything. We love him. We believe in him. But I don't actually expect him to do all that much. Their hope has been leached away. And I wonder if that's true for some of us today. Where you say, Adam, I'm here. I believe in the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm not threatening to leave the Lord, but but things have not gone in my life how I thought they were going to go. I just haven't seen you move like I thought you were going to move. And so I'm not leaving the team or anything, but but I don't know if I really expect you to do all that much. And we're going to be tempted in this Christmas season just to kind of reduce Christmas down to a holiday. You see, for Christians, there is a unique joy when it comes to Christmas. We have this hope in Christmas. Christmas reminds us of of that Jesus has come, but it's also this pointing ahead to the reminder that Jesus is coming again. But the world, the world really doesn't get on board with that. The world likes Christmas. I hope you know that. The world loves Christmas for all kinds of different reasons. Retailers love Christmas, right? Huge spending season. Uh, families love Christmas. Uh, Kids love Christmas. We get out of school. We get presents. There's all this music on the radio. There's all this great food and all this other stuff. I mean, there's a ton of reasons to love Christmas. But only Christians can really understand. But wait, the whole reason we're celebrating is because the Son of God has come to save humanity. He's brought salvation through Jesus. And there is coming a day when Jesus Christ is coming again to make all things new. And we can have a living hope in him. And the question is, do you also have that hope? Or are we just going to settle for what the world has to offer? Zechariah and Elizabeth are obedient, but they're about to see things change in their life. And so look at verse 8 and notice what it says here. 
It says, now while Zechariah was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, pause right there. Uh, That's one of those verses in scripture that for some of us, your eyes just roll back in your head and you just skip on to the next one, right? Because you said, Adam, I have no idea what I just read. I, I am not up on the orders of the priests, nor am I up on really the temple divisions and how all the orderings and things go there. And so we just go skip and you just move on to the next verse. But don't do that. Uh, here is what is happening. Uh, there is a whole priestly class, a, a tribe in Israel. There was roughly about 18,000 priests who were on duty at any time in the nation of Israel. But only a certain sector of them would be at any point serving in the temple. And they would kind of do this in a round. All right, so Zechariah's uh, kind of his clan, his family has been chosen there on duty. Uh, and then every day, somebody would be chosen uh, to go and burn incense before uh, the, in the holy place right in front of the most holy place. So he's not going into that holy of holies where the presence of the Lord resided, but he is just outside of it in the holy place. And he would do this by himself. Now, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. When Zechariah gets chosen, this is not like he picks up the night shift. He's never done this before. And he will never do this again. It is a once in a lifetime experience for him to be able to go this close to the very presence of God and all by himself to offer incense. And he would pray for an hour there in front of that curtain. So look what happens as he is doing this in this incredible honor. Verse nine or verse 10, rather. It says, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Let's stop right there. What a strange intro. You now know that Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to be the parents of John the Baptist. It's not an immaculate conception like it will be with Mary and Jesus, but it is certainly a miraculous conception and that is happening in their old age. But this story doesn't seem to go like you think it would. Zechariah is going to get an answer to the prayer that he and his wife have been praying probably for decades And instead of being overjoyed, it all just goes squirrely. 
How come he's not excited? How come he's not overjoyed at the news that he's going to have a son? Well, I think there's a few different reasons for that. First off, uh, he's not truly overjoyed because angels are terrifying. I don't know if you know this, but angels are terrifying beings. This is an interdimensional being that we don't fully understand. And almost every single time they show up, people freak out. They don't know what to do with them. Almost the first words out of their mouths are always, do not fear. Just stop it. Don't fear. I bring you good news of great joy. I mean, they're always saying good things, but this is a scary vision. He's there by himself. And now he's got an angel sitting next to him. Secondly, he's not expecting any of this. He was excited to be there, but he had no expectation. Remember the 400 years? He has zero expectation that this is actually going to happen on his watch. And then thirdly, I think he's overwhelmed. Far from being overjoyed, he's now going to be overwhelmed because now the practical reality of getting this answer, this prayer answered is coming home to him. Wait, I'm going to have a son? I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have a son. Wait a minute. Uh, I, I'm going to, how am I going to do that? I am old. My wife is old. Wait a minute. Look, I had my daughter when I was 44 and I feel this a little bit. I can't imagine for Zechariah. I don't know how old he is. He seems to be older. How am I going to keep up? How am I going to do this? And then there's my wife. Wait a minute. Is she going to survive this? Is my wife going to live through this process? This is a dangerous thing that we're talking about here. Wait, how are we going to pull this off? And all of the practicals begin to come to mind to him. And he says, man, how... How am I supposed to do this? And instead of being overjoyed, he just finds himself overwhelmed. And here's what you begin to see in Zechariah. His lack of joy is betraying his lack of hope. Because when the angel says, I'm going to give you a son, what he's really saying back is, don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up if you're not going to do this. We've been praying for years. Don't get my hopes up if it's not going to work out. Don't let me go home and tell my wife this if this is not going to happen. Don't let me get her hopes up. Don't get my hopes up if this is not actually going to happen. And you say, well, how do you know he's doubting this? Well, we'll look at what he does. He says, how, uh, how shall I know this is his question. Now, that seems very innocent, right? It seems like a natural question to ask, but it's not. Mary, later on in this chapter, Gabriel's going to show up to her too and say, hey, you're going to bear the son of God. She will ask a similar question. She will say, how will these things be? And it sounds like the same, but they're not. You see, Mary's question is a question of process, while Zechariah's question is a question of faith. Down in verse 20, the angel's going to say, because you didn't believe me. The word there in the Greek is pistuo. It means faith. It means trust. When I told you that you were going to get this answer, you did not believe me. You didn't put your faith in me. You didn't actually trust that this was going to occur. You see, he lost his hope. Is that where you're sitting? Do we really believe that God can answer prayers? Do we really believe that God can bring hope to you? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is actually coming again one day? Or have we just found ourselves just killing time? Just here, waiting, not, 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 maybe not angry, but, but not hopeful, not joyful. We're just here. We've lost the hope of truly trusting, having faith, believing that Jesus Christ is our Savior and he is coming again. 
And so the angel is going to give him a timeout. He say, all right, uh, listen, here's what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to be silent for nine months. Now, this might bother some of you who might look at this and say, this seems like a little bit of an overcorrection, doesn't it? Does this not seem a little bit harsh? Dude's asking honest questions. He hasn't heard anything for years and years. I mean, it makes sense that he would ask some of these things. Does this seem like a, a, an overharsh punishment uh, for Zechariah not instantly believing everything that this angel is saying? And I think for what we need to do is, is we need to make sure we understand the difference between discipline and punishment. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. The angel is not punishing him. He's disciplining him instead. You say, well, what's the difference? Okay, well, punishment is when you and I get what we deserve. All right, we break a law. We go, we steal something. Okay, you are going to either pay a fine or you're going to go to jail or you got to pay restitution, but there's going to be a punishment for what you and I have done. We did something wrong. We are going to get a punishment because we broke the rules. We broke the law. We broke a relationship. And now there's a punishment that happens as a result. Discipline is different. Discipline is when an authority in your life sees a deficiency in you and seeks to correct it. I'm going to say that again. Discipline is when an authority in your life sees a deficiency in you and seeks to correct it. Parents, this is what we do with our children. We ought to be disciplining them. That's not out of anger or punishment. It's out of love. They're not going to get everything right. We have to discipline them, hopefully, to correct that deficiency, to help them to grow so they don't make this mistake again. But this is an act of love by an authority in your life. What the angel is doing here is not a punishment. It's a discipline. You might say, well, how do you know that? Well, I really don't think it's the case that the angel has made a mistake, right? It's not like he's got the wrong guy. That'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Right? Angel shows up. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That would be, oh, I'm sorry. Wrong guy. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Can you send the next guy in? I was a little early. I'm so sorry. God loves you too. Really? Just send the next guy in. Can I start over? Can we do that again? Round two. I mean, I, I don't really think the angel's making a mistake here. God knows who Zechariah is. God also knows how Zechariah is going to react. And God sends Gabriel anyways. And says, no, this is my guy. And I, I, this is going to be a discipline in his life. The angel's not being vindictive. He's going to help him. And he's going to help in a very specific way. Oh, he's going to say, you are going to be silent for nine months. But he's not simply going to be unable to speak. He's also going to be unable to hear. Uh, later on in the story, you'll see people making signs to him because he can't hear them. What he's going to get is nine months of quiet. Nine months where he cannot speak and he cannot hear. Now, for some of you, that might sound like a dream. Right? People stop talking to me. His wife might have thought this might be a dream for him to stop talking for nine months. For others of you, this is a nightmare for us not to be able to hear or to speak for nine months. But for nine months, he's going to listen. Nine months, he's going to go through his life, but he's going to have a chance to stop and to listen and to think about what is being given to him. So nine months are going to go by. And after that nine months, if you probably turn the page and skip down uh, to verse 57, you will begin to see what happens. 
Luke chapter 1, same chapter, verse 57 now, and listen to what it says. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, now, pause. This is the first thing he has said in nine months. These are the first words he has spoken in nine months. Hear what comes spilling out. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. What comes spilling out of him after this nine months of silence, you hear a renewed hope. Far from being beaten down or killing time or or settling. Instead, you hear the hope that has finally been renewed to him. And please note, he does not start by talking about John. No, he's going to start by talking about the Lord. He's talking about the Messiah. The Messiah has come. His hope has been renewed in the God that he worships. And it's the same kind of hope that can be renewed in you and I as well. Let me give you three things that he has that renews Zechariah's hope in the Lord for him and for us as we walk in to this Advent season. The first thing that gives him renewed hope is this. He remembers that the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Look at verse 70. It said, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. God's not simply doing some brand new thing out of the blue. He says, no, I prepared for this. I planned for this. I made prophecies about this. 300 and more prophecies about this. Way back in Genesis, you can see the inklings of the prophecies about this. And all through the Old Testament, God's not simply doing something new. He is fulfilling something he had predetermined to do. Why? Because he's faithful. God doesn't forget his promises. And he doesn't forget his people for people who had thought that after 400 years, maybe God's moved on. Maybe he's abandoned us. He'd have reason to. Maybe God has just changed his mind. Maybe God's just going to do something else. He says, no, God never forgot you. God has been there the whole time and God will never abandon his people and he'll never abandon you. Because he's faithful. And look, that's a word you and I need, is it not? 
because you and I still live in the midst of a broken and dark world. Or some of you, you're living in a dark spot and you need to be reminded that our God is still faithful. Look, I had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you had a phenomenal Thanksgiving. I had a really great time. We had a bunch of family all together. We got to spend an extended amount of time together. I mean, I truly enjoyed Thanksgiving this year, but that's not the case for some of us in our church. There's a lot of tragedy that's running through our congregation and Thanksgiving wasn't as joyous as people would have wanted it to be. How Tomlin lost his mom this past, what, two days ago. He knew it was coming, but it's never fun to lose your mother. Camille Thomas lost her husband in a tragic accident on Thanksgiving Day. Not expecting that at all. And her husband is just suddenly gone. There are others. Brian Stevens, who we prayed for last week. He had a great week, actually, this week and was able to celebrate with his family Thanksgiving in the hospital. But this is still most likely to be his last Thanksgiving because he's still on hospice care. He's probably not coming out of that hospital. We have to think about that future. Others are recovering from illnesses or surgeries. Others of you, you might say, Adam, this is my first Thanksgiving without a loved one. This is my first Thanksgiving without a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a relative. I say, Adam, I know I got another first at Christmas coming up. Maybe you're in different straits. You say, Adam, I lost my job. I lost my marriage. I lost my hope. You look around at a dark world and say, Adam, I just don't know if God's going to do anything. I just don't, I don't know if he's still here. I don't know if he remembers me. I don't know if, if he still knows uh, what, what I need and what I want or if he's going to provide. And this is where you, like Zechariah, can be pointed back to all of these prophecies and recognize, wait, all of these things God said he has fulfilled because he's faithful and he never gives up on us. And the same God who made prophecies and fulfilled them is a God who has made more promises to us and says, I will not fail to fulfill them. This is the God who says, never will I leave you or forsake you. No one can snatch you out of my hands. If I can provide for the birds of the air and the weeds of the field, can I not much more provide for you? I'm preparing a place for you. And you will come and live with me forever. These are promises from our Savior. And he says, I am a God who never fails. I am a God who is faithful. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the darkness of this world, you and I have a God who is faithful. Advent is the reminder that God fulfilled his promises and he will fulfill them again. Secondly, Not only is our God faithful, we find out that our Lord is merciful. You can have a renewed hope because our Lord is merciful. Look at verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Skip down to verse 78. He'll say it again. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. When Zechariah receives this answer to his prayer... And we recognize that the Messiah is now coming. He says, this is a mercy to us. And he knows this because he doesn't deserve it. When he got the answer to his prayer, he muffed it. The angel showed up and gave him exactly what he wanted. And he totally messed it up. And God didn't yank it back from him. 
And God didn't say, well, you weren't good enough. You didn't do it right. Maybe I'll give you a few more years to think about it. No, God just gave him a gift anyway because he's merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us just mercy. And on top of mercy, grace. It's just a gift. Israel doesn't deserve a Messiah. They've been idolatrous almost since day one. They invent new ways of leaving after the Lord. And the Lord never gives up on them. This is a mercy. And he does the same for us as well. He says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Do you know what you and I deserve? We deserve punishment. That's what we deserve. We deserve to be punished for all that we have done. We deserve to be abandoned. And God says, that's not how I'm going to treat you. Instead, I'm going to give you mercy, grace, forgiveness, love, acceptance, even when we don't deserve it. That ought to bring joy. That you haven't disqualified yourself. That you're not abandoned. You're not lost. You're not doomed. The Lord says, no matter where you are, I can redeem you. And I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Instead, I'm just going to give you this gift of my son. Zechariah gets a physical son, but we all get the son who is Jesus Christ. We all get a savior, even when we don't deserve it. And to experience all that joy, all you have to do is receive it. Now, look, that's actually a skill. Did you know it's a skill to receive mercy? It's a skill to receive grace. Zach said it earlier. We, we're kind of prone to not abide. We're prone to run from the Lord. We're also prone to not want to receive mercy. We don't like taking gifts. And you said, Adam, I love taking gifts. You want to give me one? I'll take one. I don't know if that's actually true. Imagine this scenario. Imagine in a couple days or a couple weeks, you have got all your Christmas shopping done. It's all good. It's all wrapped under the tree, sent out. Great. And then somebody walks up to you with an unexpected gift. How do you feel? Because part of you says, yay. The other part of you says, yay. Because what's your instant response? Oh, well, now I got to go buy them a gift. I thought I was done. I got to go back on 280 again. Are you kidding me? And I already spent my budget. I don't have any more money for this. And I gave me a gift. Now I got to go give a gift. I'll go give them a gift. Fine. Christmas toy. What is happening here? You got a gift. How about this? If somebody gives you an unexpected gift, just take it. Just take it and do not feel the obligation to give a gift back. <gasps> You can't do that in the South. Are you kidding me? You can't do that. If you, somebody gives you a gift, you've got to give them. You've got to be equal. No, you don't. You could just take it. What if you just received a gift and felt zero responsibility to give them a gift back and just see how it feels and recognize somebody just gave you a gift and you can receive it. And then if you want to, you can give them a gift back, but you don't have to. See, the difference now is you could actually give a gift in love instead of reciprocity. You could give a gift out of love and care and concern and not to save face. What if you just took it? But Adam is extravagant. Yeah, what if you just took it? Adam, I can't pay him back. What if you just took it? Jesus Christ is offering us himself. He comes at Christmas and offers us himself. It's a gift we did not deserve. We cannot earn and will never repay. Can you just receive him?
Can you just receive it? And say, I don't deserve it, but I'm going to receive it. My God is merciful. And look, if he's that merciful, it means that I can't screw it up. It doesn't matter how I perform or or what I do. I don't don't trust myself to really get this right. You don't have to because God's already said, I'm not going to abandon you because our God is merciful. He's merciful. And then thirdly, he's reminded that our Lord is a savior. Look at verse 68. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up for us a horn of salvation for us. And then down in verse 77, it says to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. He is reminded that our Lord is a savior. You see, Zechariah, I think, had kind of given up on saving Israel. I'm sure it was going to happen sometime in the future, but for him, it had been 400 years. I think he would have just been just fine if he had just gotten his child. John the Baptist or not, forerunner of the Messiah or not, I think it would have been fine if he had just gotten his son to say, look, God, do whatever you're going to do. I'm good. I I promise I'm going to follow. But can I just have this? I'll be good with this. I'm I'm good. Just just give me this. And that's good enough for me. I don't know if I want to be all about the salvation of humanity anymore. Uh, I just just want this. That's good enough for me. I'll I'll just take this. Is that okay? I just want this. It sounds semi-okay. But what you're really doing is, is we're settling. Zechariah is settling. God, I'm going to give up on all the promises of salvation, the, the whole purpose of the nation of Israel that's going to lead to the kingdom spreading over the whole world and every knee bowing and tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is, Lord, I'm going to give up on that. And I, just, I just want this. It's a good thing, right? I'll settle for this. See, this is the temptation at Christmas is that we just settle. Said, Adam, I don't know if I'm, I'm all about just the gospel going forth. I don't know if I'm all about just Jesus Christ coming to the world. I think I'd just be, I'd settle for, to have a kid of my own. I'd settle for time with my family. I'd settle for this accomplishment. I'd settle for this money. I'd settle for this gift. I'd settle for this lake house. I'd settle for, for whatever. Just, it's something. If I could just have this, oh, that's good. That's, that's all I need. I, I'll settle for that. And while those things are fine in and of themselves, they are not worthy of your entire life. Furthermore, they are temporary. And Jesus Christ doesn't want to give you a gift that's temporary. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to save us from our sins and then send his very Holy Spirit to live inside of us that we might abide forever. We talked about that last week. The one who does the will of the Lord abides forever. Forever. I get to live in him forever. He wants to give us so much more. And the question is, are you settling for something less? It's a good thing, but I'm settling. And instead of lifting my gaze to the God who is worthy, the God who has come and will come again, the God who is faithful and merciful, the God who saves, have we allowed our hopes to dim and our eyes to drift and settle just a little bit lower and we've settled. I wonder if this week at Christmas or even this Advent season, he could lift our eyes again And point them back to the Lord and say, I am the savior of the entire world. And I bring a joy and a life that is so much greater than anything in this world can possibly afford you. I want to save you. What if today you put your trust fully in Jesus Christ and lifted your eyes to him? Have a renewed hope because you found that Jesus is still a savior. As we reflect on this over the course of this season, I wonder if all of us need a timeout. Maybe you need to give yourself a timeout. Don't wait for the angel. But maybe give yourself some time.
Time to be quiet. Time to listen. Maybe you need a couple hours just by yourself. Just take off an afternoon of work and just spend some time by yourself. Go out on a hike on a weekend all by yourself. Carve out some time, maybe even a weekend all by yourself and say, I just need to sit and meditate just like Zechariah did on the Lord that loves me, that saves me and wants to show me more than I've given him credit for. What if we allowed the Lord to renew our hope this Advent season? So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Zach and the team are going to come and lead us in a closing song of worship. Where's your hope? Do you have hope this season? I said, I'm just getting here. Christmas is just kind of starting to enter my mind, but it'll go faster than you think. I wonder if some of us might wake up into the season to realize that our hope has kind of been leached away. We didn't make a decision. We didn't throw it away. It just kind of seeped out. Whereas we walk into the Advent season, we don't find joy in our hearts or life or expectation. We're just kind of waiting. What if God can renew your hope today? What if you lifted your eyes to him? Would you focus on him and say, God, would you renew my hope in you? And so, Father, thank you. Thank you that you come to imperfect people like us. God, thank you that you give us promises we don't deserve. God, thank you that you're not like us. You fulfill every promise. You never fail. You never forget. And you're strong enough to make sure nobody, not even us, can snatch ourselves out of your hand. Lord, we're grateful. But for me, for this entire church family, for all of us, Lord, as we look into this Advent season, could you renew our hope this season? God, we are excited to see yet anew just who you are and what you're about to do. In your name we pray.